You may be seated. Um, our scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'll begin at verse 9 and go through to verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, with those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Today we live in a world of technological communication overload. There was a time when communication was much simpler. We can remember the primitive ways in which mankind once communicated, such as with drums and smoke signals. And as I look out here, I think some of you remember them very well. Maybe I'm wrong. There was even a time when people wanted to communicate over long distances. They would fasten a message to the foot of a pigeon and have it fly to the person to whom it was sent. Human runners were even used to carry messages over long distances. Many people don't realize that the marathons we run today are fashioned after a Greek man who was sent to run approximately 26 miles from Marathon in Greece to Athens. He was sent to give them the message that the Greeks had defeated the Persians at Marathon. If anyone's interested, it's reported that the man was named Pheidippides. You can write that down. I'll spell it for you later. And, uh, and when he came there, the message, he cried out, Rejoice, we conquer. And it's reported that he fell down dead on the ground after running that 26 miles. So we've gone through many, many changes as we think back to the invention of the telegraph and Morse code 
when people had to go to the telegraph office to send a message. Then came the telephone when people had to go to the telegraph office. I'm beyond the telegraph office now. A little lost my space there. It could uh, the telephone came and when they could stay in their own home and receive a phone call from just over radio or television. Then came computers and email. We now have cell phones where people don't have to be home to receive phone calls or text messaging. People look like they're walking around talking to themselves, but they're speaking on their cell phones. I can remember when all this started, I was in a shop right, I guess it was, and I was in one of the big aisles that they have, and there was a lady down the other end, and uh, there were just the two of us in, in this, and uh, she began talking quite loudly, on her, and, and I went, what? what? You know, why was she down there talking to herself? And she wasn't, she was, and I thought she might be talking to me, but she was talking, as I said, quite loudly, but it startled me, and then after a while, you get used to it. No, they're not talking to you, they're, they're talking on their cell phone. Back in my day, blackberries and apples were something you ate. And now, some people don't know how they ever live without communicating on their blackberries and apples. And so, uh, it's quite a, quite a different world we live in. Now, much more could be said, but I just want us to think of how important all of this human-to-human communication has become to us. We're constantly communicating with one another. We could call this human-to-human communication horizontal communication. But today I want to speak to all of you about vertical communication. That's communication with God. We need to get serious about our communication with God. Not because I say so, but as we will see, God says this in his word. God communicates to us through his word by his Holy Spirit. Now, how are we communicating with him? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us three simple words. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. There are three simple words, but if we were to obey them as we should, we would be amazed at what the Lord would do in our lives and in the lives of those for whom we pray. And many people don't realize prayer is not an elective. The Greek word translated pray in our text is in the imperative tense. This means that God is ordering us to pray, and he's ordering us to pray without ceasing. Now, it's obvious that even the Apostle Paul, who was inspired to write this, was not always praying, as we usually think of praying. He preached, he taught, he wrote He worked making tents. Remember, he was a tent maker. 
and whatever else he had to do. What this verse is telling us is that when we are not actually praying, we should be in a prayerful, submissive attitude toward God. It was said of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous Reformed preacher of the 1800s, that when someone was in his company and casually visiting with him, he might, in the middle of their visit, suggest that they bow their heads and praise God for the wonderful time they were having, wherever they were. This is the attitude toward God and toward life that we should have. We should be constantly aware of his presence and be ready, silently or audibly, to pray to him. If we unceasingly have that prayerful, submissive attitude toward God, we will find ourselves increasing in our obedience to pray without ceasing. But praying without ceasing also means that we are to set aside a private time of prayer. We may go through the work and play of the day with a walkie-talkie contact with our Lord, but there should also be a time when we sit quietly in our room or wherever we might be, quietly, with no distractions, having a concentrated time of prayer. I'm not going to tell you how long it should be. That concentrated time of prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret shall repay you openly. This time of private prayer should not be haphazard. We should seek to have an order in our prayers. It's not that we want to get into a rut or to start praying in vain repetitions, but our prayers should be more like a rifle shot and not like a scattergun with little bullets going this way and that. There should be definite elements present in our prayers. Of course, many sermons could be preached, and you've probably heard them on prayer. And you could have many sermons on the different elements or the sub-elements which we could use in our prayers. But we should at least use the five that we will consider today. And they are praising, repenting, petitioning, submitting, and persevering. There should be an element of praise. This is an expression of our love and appreciation for our Heavenly Father, for our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior should joyfully prostrate ourselves before God. We are saved for eternity. We possess eternal life, the greatest gift in the universe, and we possess it only because God has had, decided to have mercy on us. He's decided to have mercy. 
Stop and think, when was the last time you knelt down and praised God from the depths of your soul for saving you? Yes, salvation is the greatest gift. But look at how many other blessings we have. All of us can praise God for this free country in which we live. And as I look out at all of you, no one appears to be starving to death. Maybe on the contrary. Uh, I, I know I could lose about 20, 30 pounds myself. So uh, we're doing pretty well. We have so much to praise God for. And we should be praising Him throughout our prayer. So begin your prayer with praise. And you may find any complaints you had will quickly disappear. A second element would be the element of repentance. We know that even as believers, we sin. Maybe thought, word, deed, or sins of neglect, as we prayed earlier. But the blood of Jesus that bought our salvation is the same blood that cleanses us from sin when we repent and trust in God's forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9, which we read earlier, remember it said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have a sermon that I preached on that text and the point I, uh, first point I think I make in it is that that letter is written to believers. It's, uh, sometimes it's used in a, an evangelical sense, and that's okay, you know, because it, uh, there's a truth, there is an application to that. But the first purpose that John had, he was writing to believers that, okay, if you sin, it's okay, you can ask him for forgiveness. And that same blood that originally brought your forgiveness will cleanse you from that sin. And we should seek to be specific in our repentance. As you pray to God for forgiveness for specific sins, you will be reminding yourself of your own specific weaknesses. You can then pray for specific strength to overcome those sins. God, the Holy Spirit, is in us, working in us, sanctifying us. Part of his sanctifying work is convicting us of sin that still remains within us, bringing us to repentance and giving us the strength to put off sin and to put on righteousness, joyful, loving obedience to his commands. Our third element would be bringing our petitions to the Lord. I think many of us, first thing we do when we pray is right away we rush into petitions. And we don't take the time, thank you Lord for my great salvation. Thank you Lord, your faithfulness. Thank you for my blessings. And just praising and lifting him up as I said, praising and adoring number one. And this, um, as we think about petitions, our first petition should not be for others or ourselves. But we should petition God 
that he may be glorified in all things. Remember the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is that? The kids know, should know that by now uh, in your classes. What is the chief end of man? What's the chief purpose of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I remember when I was a young Christian and I heard uh, Pastor Bush, the first time I heard that as an adult and, and saved, and the glorified God, you know, it's like even I kind of understood that, uh, not entirely as I found out later, but um, the glorified God. And then when I, the second part of it uh, really hit me, oh, and to enjoy him forever. And that was when I started realizing that sin is harmful. Sin hurts. We don't we don't enjoy things that hurt us. And I realized that the life I was living was sinful and it was harming me. But to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, and that's that obedience brings joy to the born again Christian. We want to obey, and so uh, I think that uh, uh, we have to realize that. And the glory of God should be the governing argument you give to him as the reason why he should answer your petitions. The glory of God. This will glorify you. Now, this will also help you discover whether your petitions are sinfully selfish. Yes, God, I know I have a television in that room, but I'd like a television in every room in my house. Maybe a 50-inch, not a 60-inch. I'll be happy with a 50-inch. And all of a sudden, what? You know, it's like, you don't, you don't need a television in every room in your house. You, know, you start counting your blessings and thinking uh, maybe some of us, I know in my life there was a time when I uh, uh, actually broke my television because I was spending too much time watching it when I was at seminary and I just took it out and, uh, and put it in the garbage and I said well if I don't have it I can't look at it it was uh, wasting too much time and uh, I'm not saying you should do that with your television I'm just saying I had a problem so I got rid of the problem uh, and uh, so I do have a television uh, two televisions actually in my house now one upstairs in our bedroom, one downstairs in our living room, in the, the Woodstone room. And so, uh, I'm not saying television is evil in and of itself, but my wasted time, the way I used it, was bad. And uh, just too much time. And uh, so, uh, that's what I'm talking about. And there may be time when you're convinced in your head. Well, this would glorify God. And I'm not talking about a television in every room, but there might be some way you can think how this would glorify God. And uh, I know when, when I pray for my uh, beloved relatives who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, I think, wow, that would be so wonderful be so, to hear them. They would give a testimony, and it would be such a boost for me and my family to see them rejoice in Jesus, and that would glorify you. Ah, ah. 
Don't expect him always to answer your prayers according to your will. Even if you're convinced it would glorify him. God is the ultimate judge of what will glorify him and bless you. And always know that. Now before we go on, we must realize we do have other instructions from God's word about what petitions we should bring to him. Now a few months ago, if you remember, we saw God's word tell us we need to remember to pray for our brothers and sisters suffering severe persecution because they are Christians. Remember Hebrews 13.3. It says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. We're all part of the body of Christ. And said, remember them. And remember them where? In prayer. Praying for them. Also, many years ago, uh, I was reading 2 Timothy 4.8. And I'll read the words of the Apostle Paul there as he's anticipating the second coming of Christ. He says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, listen to this now, this last line, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Also, to lo- he was going to be blessed with the crown of righteousness. And he's going to give it to also other believers who love his appearing. Now as I read this, I asked myself a question, which was, how do I demonstrate to God that I love the appearing of Jesus Christ on that last day? How do I, how do I demonstrate I love his appearing? And the answer was quite simple. I demonstrate my desire for the second coming of Jesus by praying for it regularly. That's something we should want so badly, all of us. It should be in our prayers regularly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And as I I thought about it more deeply... I realized, you know what, you're going to be, maybe be surprised about this, but the very last prayer in the Bible is for what? For the second coming of Jesus. And uh, that's in Revelation 22:20. The beloved Apostle John is inspired to write these words. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. That's the, he's quoting Jesus there. Surely I am coming quickly. And then back to the, what the Apostle John says in the, at, the, at the end of that. He says, Amen. 
Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The last prayer in the Bible. And brothers and sisters, when we stop and think about it, these prayers are Christ-centered. The first prayer is for the suffering body of Christ on earth. Believers, remember when uh, in the, the book of Acts, when uh, par- the Pharisee Saul was persecuting uh, Christians, even had them watching Stephen get stoned, and um, Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus when he was on his way to persecute more Christians. And what did Jesus say to the Pharisee Saul? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, me, not my, not my people. Why are you persecuting me? And believers, we here, we're the body of Christ on earth. So, the first prayer is for the suffering body of Christ, the Hebrews passage. And the second is for the victorious body of Christ in heaven to come back from heaven to earth. To take us all to be with him in the new heaven and new earth. That's going to be so wonderful. So, there's something you can regularly pray for. Suffering Christians and for Jesus to come back. Just emulate that last prayer in the Bible. Now a fourth element of prayer would be submission to God's will. We should always pray that God's will would be done. Even if what God's will is, is contrary to our will, we must always realize His will is best for us. Always. Always. Since God has taken care of our greatest need in sending His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer and die for our sins so we could be in heaven with Him, He can take care of all our lesser needs. He's taken care of our greatest need. Paul is a good example of this attitude in 2 Corinthians 12. I'll begin at verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
Then I am strong. God's grace is sufficient for us also. And his strength will be shown in our weakness as we submit to his will in all things. Yes, even in suffering. The prayer we can, we can pray as we have brothers and sisters very often uh, they get cancer and they get various things and, and uh, they're on their way uh, to heaven. It's close that their bodies are going to go the way of, of uh, human kind on earth. And, and, they, and they, they still have a glow, a glow in their eyes when they talk about Jesus and the great healing that they have. And you, I, as a pastor, I used to visit many wonderful Christians, and they would lift me up. They would uh, be so filled with so joy, much joy in their salvation. And we can pray, that, you know, Lord, I don't know what's ahead of me, but what, if that time comes when I'm in pain and suffering and in a bed and, and uh, it looks like it's your will for me to come home, let me be a powerful testimony then. So easy to praise God. I'm, I'm in good health now, 76 years old. I know I look a lot older, but uh, 76, you, know, you never know. The heart may give. And I already had a, a tumor removed from my brain, and uh, some people think I had more than that removed. But uh, the, uh, anyway, the, uh, the point is that we don't know, and we just say, Lord, let me glorify you in that day. as I never did before. And also, one point should be made here that I don't want to neglect. Just because we want to be submissive to God's will does not mean we are to give up easily if our prayers are not answered immediately. We must persevere in prayers. This could be called the fifth element of prayer. Jesus taught about perseverance in prayer in Luke 18, a beginning of verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God or, re- or regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So, Jesus tells us to pray and never faint. Many of us have loved ones who don't know Jesus as their Savior. We pray for them over and over again for years. We are to continue to persevere in our prayers for them. Not with vain repetitions, but with urgent repetitions. Urgent repetitions. 
As each day goes by, they are one day closer to eternal torment. This should cause us to persevere with urgent repetition. Let us wrestle in prayer with God, just as Jacob wrestled the whole night with God till he received his petition. If Jacob decided he would go to bed at a decent hour that night, he would have missed out on the blessing. God wants us, wants to see if we're serious. <coughs> and if we humbly persevere, we're showing we're serious. Let me just get a drink of water here. Since I've got about another hour to go, I'm joking. Almost over. Since this is so important, we should look at Mark 7, verse 24, and we see another example of humble perseverance. And it says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syro-Phoenician Phoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. The children, of course, is Israel, the nation of Israel. And uh, he's talking about there. And she was not of the children of Israel. She was a Gentile. And she said that, that even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. So this humble perseverance was approved by Jesus in her life and will be approved in our lives too. Now these five elements of prayer are not only to characterize our private prayers, but also our public prayers. While it's true that Jesus tells us to pray privately, it's also true that we should pray with other believers. We see this in the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. He says, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst now, this text clearly tells us that believers are to gather together to ask things in the name of Jesus. We already prayed together before, even though only one person. I prayed, but you were all with me. We are all praying together of one mind. Now, I want to deal with this. It might be a problem that some of you don't have. It might be something that maybe one or two people have. I don't know. But sometimes people will not attend a Bible study or a small group or prayer meeting because they're afraid that they're going to be asked to pray out loud. The fact is, 
that even if no one prayed out loud at a prayer meeting, you could still have a prayer meeting. You're just all praying silently, that's all. If this is what has kept you from attending your church small group or Bible study or prayer meeting, just go to whoever is leading the prayer meeting, whatever the meeting is, and tell them to please not call on you to pray out loud. Skip you. Please. And they will. You don't have to pray out loud. So up to now, we've seen that we should set aside times and places for both private and public prayer. We've also seen that our prayer should have the elements of praising, repenting, petitioning, submitting, and persevering. And I'm sure maybe you've heard other sermons where some other sub-element was included there. But these five give us the essentials. The important question to ask yourself today is, are you obeying God's command to pray without ceasing? Pray without ceasing. Jesus told us that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. He also said, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I tell you to do? Are you living every day with a prayerful, submissive attitude? Are you setting aside time every day for private prayer? And also setting aside time as we do at the worship service to pray with other believers. And remember, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Praying is necessary or it wouldn't be commanded. And we who are reformed, we know that God has ordained all that will come to pass. But what else do we know from this lesson today? We also know that he's ordained that we should pray for what's going to pass, come to pass. Pray. He wants us to be a part of it. I'm going to close with this story. During the Civil War, an officer heard some soldiers praying in their tent. May have been praying a little bit loud, I don't know, but he heard them. And he went to the general to remind him that the rules said there were to be no strange noises when the soldiers were encamped. No, no strange noises when the soldiers were in camp. But the general said to him, God forbid that prayer should be considered a strange noise in this camp. Yes, brothers and sisters, and may God forbid that prayer will be a strange noise in this camp here at Faith Church. Now, someone doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This message was for God's people who know Christ as Savior and Lord. But if you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, God's reaching out to you today. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. 
and you will be saved. May God have mercy on you and give you the grace to believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for all your amazing grace. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord. You give us instructions on how we are to live while you still have us here on the earth. And so uh, we do pray that you would be glorified in all things. We pray that our will would be one with your will, that we would be praying for things that you've ordained to come to pass. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you'll be with our brothers and sisters suffering severe persecution. And, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come soon. Even as the Apostle John said, even so come, Lord Jesus. Bless us now as we partake of your supper. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.